This is Real Estate Rookie episode 169er. It's a very inflated market right now. So I have been recommending to people look back in the rents, see what the rents were demanding before all this inflation hit. Does that market rent still support the cash flow? My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here on my couch. Finally had my surgery, and I am here with my co-host, Tony Robinson, who, of course, sitting in his nice office, beautiful glow in the background. Then there's me just slumming it on my couch and sweatpants. There you go. But you know, hey, people still love you for it, Ashley. Stop, yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. We'll, we'll give you a break since you're now... So is the ACL gone or is it just... I had it repaired, it? so... Okay. All right. So you still have it. Yeah. So yeah, okay. they took a piece off of my kneecap. I don't remember what it's called, even though they told me 50 times. Took a piece of that ligament or tendon and then put it to my ACL, ACL and attached it. Now you got no Was kneecaps. that medical terms? <laughs> I'm going to start calling you no kneecap Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no kneecap care. And then I, I tore my MCL too, but that, I guess, repaired itself and strong enough. And that was good. So they didn't have to actually touch that when they went into surgery. So hopefully I'm finally on the mend. We have the bigger pockets rookie weekend coming up. So it's still undetermined if I will be on, on crutches, crutches. <laughs> if I will have a brace on, or if I will be running and nose diving into the crowd of people. <laughs> we don't know yet. On stage. We'll see. We'll see yeah. what happens. Uh, well, okay, we're not here so- to talk about kneecaps today, right? Yeah. We're here to talk about some real estate. So, well, I guess first, what outside of your knee surgery, Ash, what's new with you? Um, I'm actually closing on a property tomorrow that I've been working on for a while. They had a right of first refusal on the property, and it just like took a long time to kind of get the person that had right of first refusal to like back off. It went through like litigation and everything. So finally closing on that property tomorrow. So super excited about that. It's 30 acres, two cabins, and one of the cabins is going to be turned into my office actually. And hopefully I'm going to put a little podcast studio in there so I can look more professional like Tony (laughs) instead of being on my couch or in my closet. There you go. Uh, no, that's exciting. I, I know you've been working on that deal for a while, so I'm happy to see you cross the finish line finally. Yeah, thank you. And what about you? What's new with you? Yeah, so we actually just, we've been hiring some folks recently. We just hired an event and sales coordinator to help us with some of our, our in-person events that we're doing for the short-term mental stuff. And uh, we're actually looking to potentially hire a project manager to help us with our flips as well. So teams slowly but steadily growing that way we have a little bit more time to to actually run the business and not run around like chickens with our heads cut off. So for those of you that are listening, if you guys want to get notified whenever I'm looking for some help, just follow me on Instagram at Tony J. Robinson. I usually post the jobs there. But outside of that, I think we're getting pretty close to hopefully closing on this 24 unit cabin resort that's in the lake town here. So we've been going back and forth with the seller for a couple of weeks. I just talked to the broker yesterday and he gave me some terms that the seller would agree to. I just need to kind of run them through my underwriting model. So I did that last night and I think the numbers still check out. So I got to give him a call today and, uh, and see if we can actually close it. But I'm scared because the purchase price, it's like 7.75 million. And I've never purchased anything that expensive before. And even though they're just a bunch of cabins, right? They're a bunch of properties that will turn into short-term rentals. I know how to do that, but just the idea of buying that many at one time is like giving me some, there's some fear I got to work through, but I'm trying to not let it stop me. 
You have to look at it as a ratio. Okay, so what's the revenue that's coming in compared to the purchase price? You're just doing that at a bigger scale than if you were to buy a house in the Smoky Mountains that brought in this much revenue. So like, what's your biggest fear? What's the worst case scenario? You can't pay the mortgage payment probably. Like you can't afford to have the property because it's your biggest purchase. But if you have so much revenue coming in, so you have those 28 cabins, okay, maybe two, three aren't rented. You're still going to be able to afford a large chunk or, you know, more of that mortgage payment. So I think that's something that helped me a lot with that limited mindset of going from $100,000 houses to like, okay, let's take down million dollar campgrounds now was that you look at the revenue streams and kind of look at the ratio to it and like, the numbers are good and the numbers make sense, it would take a lot of revenue loss for you not to be able to afford the property taxes, afford the mortgage payment, things like that. You're just adding a couple zeros. Just adding a couple zeros, yeah. (laughs) And like, if I tried to buy each one of those cabins separately, they would cost me way more than 7.7 million. So the property is actually composed of, I think like three different parcels. It's like even worst case scenario, I could like split them up into separate parcels and probably sell them off for more than what I bought them for like on day one. So we'll see where it goes. I'll keep and you guys And just more time consuming buying each one separately. Totally, totally. Oh my gosh, yeah. Totally, <laughs> totally, totally. We'll see where it goes. Well, good luck with that and uh, keep us all updated. Yeah. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent. T-O, retirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. 
So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, today we have Stacy Stegenga on the podcast. And uh, whenever there's a tricky last name, I don't know if you guys have noticed, I'm the one that says it because Ashley refuses to fumble those names on, on the podcast. But <laughs> Stacy Stegenga is our guest today. And she's got a really cool story. She spent almost two decades in the military. She's been to 33 countries, so very well-traveled. And she started investing in Denver and she's kind of scaled her portfolio pretty quickly in the last like year and a half. Yeah. And she actually did out-of-state investing. She settled on Tampa. And I was actually just there. And it was, the, Tony, I have to tell you, it was the most amazing weather ever. You know, me up in Buffalo, I've been freezing. I I was at a wedding and I sat outside. I was the only person sitting in the sun because everybody else was in shade because it was 80 degrees. And I just felt <laughs> like the, the sun, sun was warming my soul. <laughs> but she gives great information of like how she became confident enough and the steps she took to become an out-of-state investor and buying these properties sight unseen and continuing to build her portfolio and how she was able to scale quickly. So that's one thing we ask her is, okay, you go from, I think it was a six-month time period from one property to the next. And she even admits, okay, I closed on the first deal. And I was like, that was great, but I can, I'll probably never be able to do it again. And how quickly her mindset changed and the steps she took to actually get the next deal done. Really quick. I think my favorite part, Ash, of this episode, I want to make sure that the listeners listen for this part is how she talks about building her network and how it cost her $0 out of pocket and how she was able to find the money she needed to raise the capital for her next deal. So just make sure you guys listen for that part because it's a big, big lesson for the rookies. And with that, let's bring Stacy onto the show. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you start off with telling everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a nurse. And actually, before that, I was active duty in the Air Force. So I traveled around the world. I left home at 17 and was gone for almost 15 years straight. I became a nurse in 2011 and settled down in Tampa. And it was a great first learning experience because I started in the ER. But because of the patient ratios down there and how hard nurses work, the pay is lower for the hard work that they do with their sick patients. I started travel nursing and then flight nursing and I landed up in Denver, which is where my family lives. And that's where the real estate comes into play. It's a really interesting story from there. So moving to Denver caused me to have my income cut in half by 50, actually 50%. And so it was through that pain that I found real estate investing. So Stacey, really quick, before we keep going, what is flight nursing? I've never heard of that before. Are you like on an airplane administering health to people or what? You are. Yeah. So I did my flight nursing through the Air Force, actually. So I've been in the military. It'll be 18 years in July. So I was flying all the branches, Navy, Coast Guard, Army, Marines, and Air Force. So it's anybody that gets hurt doing anything and they need to either go to a higher level of care, they need to come home from deployed locations, they need surgery, burns, you know, all of those things. So I was just transporting military patients all across the U.S. Wow, what a job. How many countries have you been to? Sounds like you've been all over the place. Because we were talking before we started recording, you mentioned Netherlands and some other places like you seem well-traveled. Yeah. So I was very lucky to live overseas for four years straight. And so during that time, I really took advantage of that opportunity. And I've been to 33 countries now. 33? Wow. COVID slowed me down. I was on a roll. <laughs> 
So I'm excited to get back out there later this year, maybe even in a month or two. All right. Really quick before we keep going, what's the, you know, out of all the 33 you've been to, what's the number one? So that's so hard to answer. Italy is my favorite, but it's because I lived there for two years and it was the culture for visiting purposes, Iceland, for sure. It's a gorgeous country. They have so many different types of terrain. Okay, beautiful. I'm actually going to Italy for the first time this summer, so I have to pick your brain a yeah, little bit. So, you're so going to love it. It's a great country. <laughs> what about Buffalo? Isn't Buffalo on your top list of places to go to? I can't say that it is. I mean, maybe for a football game. I see what you guys do to tables there, so... <laughs> <laughs> I need to experience that. I mean, we have Niagara Falls too. <laughs> I have flown over Niagara Falls, so I do have that. Yeah. Even though the Canadian side of Niagara Falls is actually nicer yes. than the American. <laughs> yeah. Well, Stacy, so well, first of all, thank you for your service. Thank and you. once you had this epiphany that you fell into real estate, what were some of the things you did to actually educate yourself on becoming a real estate investor? Or did you just happen to fall into it? No. So it was totally by chance, actually. So I had very mediocre financial like budgeting skills and whatnot. But when I moved to Denver and I experienced that 50% income cuts, I just knew that what I was doing wasn't sustainable. So I actually not the most intelligent move, but I was actually looking to buy a house so that I could rent. And basically house hack, I didn't know at the time that that's what it was. But the interesting part is that the agent I was working with at the time had just randomly mentioned this book by Scott Trench one day when we were out viewing properties. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. So I pick it up. I listened to it on Audible twice, back to back because like instantly it changed it like so many light bulbs were going off and then i bought the book and then highlighted took all these notes and i literally created a blueprint for myself purely off of scott's book set for life so you read set for life right stacy and i think a lot of people you know for me it was rich dad poor dad for other people it's different books right like everyone has that book that kind of makes that light bulb go off but i think for a lot of people that's where they stop they get all juiced up. They get all this motivation. They're like, man, I love the idea of investing in real estate, but then they just kind of spin their wheels, right? So what was the action that you took after you read the book that kind of propelled you into the success you've had so far? Yeah. Well, I'll say that the motivation was there just because at the time I was 33 when I experienced that income cut. So I think it was a little bit more painful because I was so established in my life. And because I was like starting to gain financial intelligence from the book, I had gone down, you know, the typical rabbit hole of bigger pockets podcasts. But the things that were most important that stuck out to me in the book was the fact that Scott really advocated that a dollar saved is better than a dollar earned. And that specifically changed my entire life because nurses are very hard workers and we way too easily sell our souls for overtime. We are constantly doing that. And so I had been just grinding, thinking more overtime, more work was always the answer. And that's where Scott's book was like, no, just save. So it's where budgeting came into my life and it's where frugality. So just learning those elements. But some other big parts of the book was that it talks about focus on your biggest expenses. And for me, that was housing and it was food expenses because eating out, you know, brunch is a lifestyle in Denver. So just those types of things. So I, at 33 years old, I had never in my adult life since 17 had a roommate. I move into a house hack here in Denver so I cut my saving or my expenses tremendously with that. And then the second one was just food prepping, 
grocery shopping, not going out to eat. And so those two things allowed me to save the 25K that Scott calls the runway in his book. Stacey, I'm such a big fan of setting a strong foundation for your personal finances before getting into real estate or making sure that your personal finances are in order along with your business. So I think that's great that you really took that approach. And myself personally, I love personal finance books. Like I'll read those any day. I love them more than even real estate books. So that's awesome. And then it, for anyone who hasn't read it, Set for Life, highly recommend it by uh, Scott Trench. And that is a great gift to give people, especially graduating college or high school too. For readers, you can find that in the Bigger Pockets bookstore. But Stacey, before we go any further, can you just give us an overview right now what your portfolio looks like? Yeah. So currently I have three duplexes. They're all in Tampa. And then I just got under contract a few weeks ago on a single family home that I'm going to turn into a midterm rental. Can you explain, because we really haven't talked about this a lot on the show, what a midterm rental is? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in between a long term and then a short term with the Airbnb. So I'm very lucky that I was a travel nurse. So I really know what to go for and the things that they're looking for. And I obviously want to take good care of the travel nurses in the community. So the midterm is just focusing on... I specifically prefer the healthcare side of things, but there are traveling executives, people that need the one month kind of length of stay, but it's basically anywhere 30 days and more. And that does help for cities that have laws against short-term rentals. It opens some more doors. Stacey, I want to go back. Well, first, I love the idea of the midterm rentals, right? And I have some friends that only do midterm and they, they absolutely crush it. So and that's the beautiful thing about real estate, right? Is you can take the same property in so many different directions. I want to go back really quickly though, because I don't want to gloss over this, but you said that you sacrificed in your personal life because you had never had a roommate before and you made the decision to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice this comfort that I've had in my life as an adult. I'm going to get a roommate. And you said through that process, you were able to save up $25,000. That is the part that I don't want people to miss because a lot of people talk about, okay, here's the thing that I want to do, or here's the thing that I want to achieve, or here's the person that I want to become. But when you sit down and you show them the hard work that's required to get there, they're like, ah, no, 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 that's too much. I don't want to do that. So it's easy to look at you now and say, oh, Stacey's got six units, three duplexes, this midterm rental, and gloss over the fact that you did the hard work of sacrificing your personal life. So for the rookies that are listening, if you're having some difficulty kind of kickstarting your real estate investing career, you have to ask yourself if you're making the sacrifices that are necessary to actually get you there. So kudos to you, Stacey, for making that decision. And I won't lie, it was not easy, especially because like I said, at 33, I mean, you're an established adult. You're like, I don't want roommates and to never had them. I wasn't in college with the house full of people. So it was, and I moved into a house hack with four roommates. I was the fifth. So it was a house full of people for sure. And it ended up being phenomenal. So I highly encourage it. But yeah, it really paved the way for me. And it's what set that foundation to my success. So Stacy, let's talk about that first deal. So once you've decided you're jumping in, what does that look like? And kind of run us through that deal. Yeah. So I will pay note to this really quick. It's perfect timing that I had read Scott's book in November, 2019, or I'm sorry, 18. And so I had saved that runway over one year. And so the timing of all of this is it's COVID. So it's like literally January, 2020, I'm ready to execute. I'm a nurse. I had a job at the time. 
and I got furloughed. I work in a procedural area at the time where we work on people's hearts. And so we had all the PPE and I was actually ready to execute. And then I got furloughed, which is a different way of saying basically laid off. So I had a lot of emotional roller coaster ride through the next few months of like, because I have all the critical care experience that they needed. It's just the census was low here. It was just a very stressful time. And I just took it as an opportunity to keep saving. I didn't quit and especially keep educating myself. But that did delay me eight months. I didn't end up closing or actually 10 months because I closed on my first property in October of 2020. And then to go into further detail about that. So I found it on the MLS. I had been analyzing numbers so aggressively for Tampa. I immediately knew just looking at it that it would cash flow. And I just sent it right away to my agent and was like, offer on this property. Stacey, I, I want to pause there really quickly because so you were living in Denver at the time, but you decided to invest in Tampa. Walk us through that decision. Why Tampa? Why not Denver or some other place that's closer? So it was one of the conclusions that I came to from mentorship, actually. So I joined a military mastermind for real estate called The War Room. And I had talked to other investors in there and I was telling them that I wanted to house hack in Denver. And they just like helped me see essentially that my goals were cash flow, not to just remove my living expense. Cause I was just so focused on that because it's the most expensive thing in Denver. And they were like, but you want freedom from nursing or you want freedom from one income. So if you get furloughed again, you're not dependent on it. So they mentored me into seeing that. So that's ultimately what made me choose out of state. My money just went further. And then I specifically chose Tampa because that was the first ER that I worked in. So I was very familiar with the city. So a lot of new investors get really hung up on choosing their market and they do like, and I did this myself too, right? Like literally, if you go back for all of you that are listening, if you go back in the rookie Facebook group, I posted in there like the analysis that I did when I was initially looking for a market. And I, I looked at like so many different data points. I was like looking at, you know, median home price, average income number, you know, like average school rating, crime, you know, walk score, like all these different data pieces. And I think to an extent, those things are good to look at. But if you're just trying to get like that first deal, I'm not sure that that deep level of analysis needs to go into it. I mean, so like, were you looking at any of those things? Or were you like, hey, this is a market that I know, I feel comfortable here, let's go and make it happen? No, not at all. I had done some of that analysis, just definitely not that in depth. What was important to me was the numbers work. And I was well on my way of establishing great relationships in Tampa. So it was just becoming easy. Deals were being sent to me. Things were making sense. So having the connection of the people I was meeting, and it was all virtually through bigger pockets, that was the value for me and choosing. And that's applicable to any networker, any city. You can choose any market. You just got to build the team. So Stacy, did you ever go and look at this property before you purchased it? I did not. All my properties were sight unseen. I think the first time I saw them was over a year after closing. And you have a property management company that is handling these or are you doing it remotely? Yeah, no, that's definitely my favorite part about real estate investing <laughs> is the property managers that make it passive. So I found my property manager on Bigger Pockets. It's the Outfast Property Management brokerage, and they do agents and all of lending, all of the things now. But yeah, they were just phenomenal. I connected with them, and they take great care of me and my properties. So 
huge fan. Stacey, so you go out there, you build this team, right? I think the question comes up often to you about like, can I buy a sight unseen? And I bought my first five properties, I think, without seeing any of them in, per in person first. And the way that I always look at it is like, if I'm sending an agent out there to look at it, if I'm having a property inspection done and I'm sending potentially maybe a general contractor to go look at it, if I've never done a deal before, like how much value am I going to provide to, in addition to what those three professionals can give? So I think your point about building the team first is so, so crucial, so, so critical. Yeah, I think where people get themselves in trouble is that maybe they're buying it off market and they're buying direct from the seller and the seller is telling them something and then they go to closing. And then when they actually close on the property, oh, not a reputable turnkey company that's shady and you're buying it directly from them. But if you get that third party, whether it's an agent, a property manager who is working for you, with you, then you have that set of eyes and that person with experience to walk the property for you and be the eyes on the ground. And especially with technology, I mean, you can FaceTime going through a property, videos sent to you. There's just so many different ways to get information and to actually see a property virtually without actually having to go there. So Stacy, one thing I'm curious about is what is the time frame? So you closed on the first property in October 2020. And then what is the time frame of you accumulating your other properties? And the biggest question we always have is how were you able to accumulate that many properties in that certain amount of time? Yeah, absolutely. So I got the second property in May of 2021. And it's funny because after my first property, I literally closed and the first thought was, that's so cool. I'm never going to be able to do that again. <laughs> so I get the struggle, but I just immediately went back into saving. And then the biggest thing for my down payment, because I did traditional, I found the second one on the MLS too, which I will talk about later, but I did conventional lending with another 25% down. And part of that was because I became more risk tolerant. I had a massive emergency fund saved up at that time. And so I kind of reduce that a little bit, but that was also MLS and conventional lending. And then my third one, it's so interesting. Having bought all of my properties off of the MLS, I was discrediting my success as an investor and I was just gunning to get something off market so that I could say that I did that. And I had done my very first skip trace and I was planning my attack. And do you know the duplex next to my very first purchase goes up for sale on the MLS. And that was the one that I was most interested in because they're right next to each other. They're the same construction build, like everything matches. So that's where things get interesting because I actually ended up buying it cash to beat out the overpriced offers on the MLS. Stacey, I definitely want to get into how you bought that property in cash. But first, can you explain what skip tracing is? Yeah. So it's just a running a list or a report that gives you the list of all property owners in the area. And you can search like different factors, the property types, years built, years owned, delinquent tax records, things of that nature, age of the person that owns the property. So it's just depending on how you want to target your off-market strategy, it's very helpful. PropStream is a software that does that. What software did you use for that, Stacey, just in case somebody wants to try it? I think I used DirectSkip, to be honest. It was like a Black Friday sale of uh, super cheap 
So the frugality is still there. You can't take it out of me. No, that's a great idea. Black Friday sales for real estate investors. There's always the memes that people joke about getting a house on Black Friday sale, but using the tools and software, that's a great idea to check out those sales on Black Friday. Tony, what about you? Is there any skip tracing software you've ever used? Uh, pretty much just PropStream. I think that's the only one that reviews. I know, um, I think Batch Leads is like another popular one. I've heard of some folks use that one, but yeah, mostly PropStream. Okay, so Stacy, you find this other property right next to your current property and you are able to offer that in cash. How did you make that happen? So first, just to be clear, the reason that I had to offer in cash or I felt that I had to was because, so I bought my first duplex for 165,000 and this one was already listed for 270. So that's how much the Tampa market had appreciated in just over a year. So my first thought as an investor is, is this appreciation real? Is it going to be permanent. Just asking those types of questions. Are the market rents going to continue to sustain this? Which are important questions that I think any investor should ask themselves. But I still felt that the 270 was over what the market was demanding at the time. And so I looked at the other comps and I just felt like offering 240, 245 was going to be my limit. It cash flowed. It made sense at 270. I just didn't feel right paying that. I knew I'd be more competitive with a cash offer and I would beat out all the other way over asking conventionals. So that's the way that I went. I did cash because I'm sorry, I did cash with partnerships. So I do a event directing for a local group here in Denver called Rocky Mountain Women Invest. And I started doing that just as a way to give back to my community so that I could empower other women to become investors as well. And through that and just giving freely and expecting nothing in return, I built a really strong relationship with the founder of the group. And she is an exec and manages a sales team, a global sales team. And so she had a lot of extra money saved up, ready to execute. She didn't know how. And so I sent her a text. I never thought that would ever happen, but I just casually asked her, Hey, could I borrow a hundred K? And she was like, yes, because she trusted me at that point. So that's how I was able to execute that deal. Stacey, so two things I want to comment on. First, I want to talk about the all cash offer. And I'm glad you brought that up because as we submit more deals and some get accepted, some get rejected, I'm starting to learn and understand that sellers have different motivations. And for some sellers, it's just like the overall price. They're like, I don't care if you're using grandma savings. I don't care if you're using a VA loan. I don't care if you're using an FHA conventional. I just want the most amount of money for my property, right? And that's what's important to some sellers. Other sellers, what's most important to them is speed, right? They're like, hey, I don't really care what you pay me, but I need to be out by next Friday, right? And if you can get me out by next Friday, then the property's yours, right? And then there are other sellers that value, I would say maybe like convenience, or certainty, maybe. It's like on the convenience side, it's like, hey, I can leave all my junk in the house, right? I don't have to worry about how I'm going to empty out this house that I've lived in for 30 years when I only need these four boxes. And then some people like the certainty of closing, right? Where they don't have to worry about an appraisal or different contingencies and like an all cash offer can satisfy that. So I love that you kind of found out what the motivation was of that seller and you were able to use that to your advantage to get that deal done. That's a big lesson, I think, for the rookies that are listening. And I just want to point out that it's not always the all cash offer that wins because I have offered all cash on some properties and I still get beat out, right? So it depends on what that seller wants. To your point, it was the quick close that he was most interested in. So it was the combination. 
of the two, the cash, cash offering. Cash and, and closing quickly. Yes, exactly. The second thing that you mentioned, Stacey, that I thought was just really, really good was you partnered with someone to get the cash that you needed for this deal. And I know that there are a lot of people who are listening that are saying, I don't have cash and I don't have a network of people that have cash. And a lot of people are going to start in that position, right? But let me ask you, say, so you said that you, you volunteered to get involved with this network of other women investors. How much money did that cost you? Nothing. Just time. Nothing. Just time. Time is valuable, but it did not cost me any actual money. Yes. And through your relationships, you were able to find an, an individual who had the capital to completely fund your deal. Yes. And that is the lesson that I think a lot of people miss is that it doesn't matter what your network looks like today, right? It doesn't matter who you know today. It doesn't matter if no one in your immediate circle has the financial resources because you can always go out and expand your network. Like there is no limit to the number of people that you can go out there and meet and shake hands with and get to know. The important thing is the more people that know you, that like you and trust you, the easier it becomes for you to raise the funds you need to get your deals done. So it was time. That's all you needed, right? And I will say, I'll even highlight a few more things about that. So being a nurse, I have access to all these physicians and high net worth individuals in healthcare, but I was stuck on an identity that I'm a nurse. I can't ask them for money or they wouldn't trust me. They wouldn't think that I have enough skill with this yet. So I even had the network where I could have really tried to tap into that. So it's even more beautiful that it happened so organically because Marge is the group founder's name. I think the thing that she appreciated most about our dynamic is that I offered my hard work and I was so confident in my own skill and I was giving without expecting in return. So really our partnership and friendship relationship got to develop organically in the sense that I wasn't expecting her to mentor me and ensure my success. I came to her with the confidence and the skill in myself and then just gave freely. Never once had we discussed me using her like private money or anything of that sort. It was just purely organic. So I definitely recommend to people to continue to meet, go out there and network because you never know where it the relationship can go. I can relate to that so much, Stacy, as to building that organic friendship first before you start even talking business. You know, maybe you're, yeah, of course you're talking real estate because that's all of us real estate investors talk about, nothing else. But instead of asking for favors or that you want to be mentored or how can they help you? Just building that friendship. I think about like a Tyler Madden who we've had on the show, who's going to be coming on again shortly. Him and I have become great friends. And it was because he actually built a friendship with me just talking about things he knew I enjoyed. And that is like what his specialty is, is getting to know people and bringing like some light out into them by talking about things they're interested in and making them become best friends with him. Yeah. And I think that makes it so much more genuine when you build that friendship first with somebody before you're asking or trying to receive something in return or even trying to give them anything. If you're pushing something on to someone as like, I can do this for you. I can do this for you. That's still, you still should build that, that friendship first before you're even trying to like push, giving them something, which it's thoughtful. It's great. But just like building that casual friendship, I think is really sets that foundation and is so much better for you to eventually work together or mentor or whatever that is. 
Absolutely. And I do think the golden nugget that everybody's missing is learning from other people's stories. Somewhere along the way, I feel like in our community, people kind of became obsessed of like, my mentor is supposed to answer all of these questions for me, but I prefer to learn from people from their mistakes. That's where the value is. That's where you're going to save hundreds of thousands of dollars is by learning from other people's stories and mistakes. And so I always encourage people, instead of going out there and just asking a bunch of questions, go and ask somebody about themselves, let them talk about themselves and learn from that value. That's where the gold is for me. And people like to talk about themselves. Yes, too. it does. <laughs> make, that does make it easy. Yes. <laughs> it's something your knowledge, people are uh, confident and like to enjoy talking about things that they know a lot about and they feel confident talking about it. And a lot of people know a lot about themselves. So. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So Stacy, let's talk about the midterm rental now. What made you decide to go into this? You said that you have the nursing background of staying in, being a traveling nurse, staying in these kind of units. What did that kind of transition look like from purchasing your duplexes to now putting together this property? I take partnerships so seriously that I I just wasn't sure as I continue to scale that I was ready to partner with someone. And because I had three small multifamilies under my belt, I did the math of what I would need to be able to choose to work. And I do continue to hope to be a nurse, but just having that flexibility to choose working in an environment that I love, things like that, I came up with a number and then reverse engineered it. And so I was like, oh, I need 33 doors this year to be able to achieve what I want, that freedom, right? And I was instantly so intimidated by that goal because I was like, 33 doors, who am I? I'm a nurse. Like I grew up in a small country town. So anyways, it was very intimidating, but I also was like, I don't want to have to manage that many different properties. And I wasn't sure yet about getting that many doors in one single property. So long story short, because I know about midterm rentals and I know it'd be one roof, easy for me to manage. I, and obviously the community of nurses That's why I decided to go that way. And I ended up finding a house that's perfect. It has a gorgeous mother-in-law suite. The entire house was flipped. The numbers make sense. So that's kind of what steered me into a new direction. And there's so many different ways you can go with real estate, like you said earlier, right? You said you're supposed to close on this one? April 13th. That'll be my first in-person closing. Yeah. All right. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, good luck to you on that, Stacey. I'm sure it'll go well for you. Yes. I'm so excited. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today.
Hiring, your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. I know we're moving along, but I just want to pick one deal where we can like just really quickly break down the numbers to kind of share with the audience how it's worked out. So do you have a deal in mind that we can use for our, our Ricky deal review? Yes, I do. Okay, awesome. So I'm just going to hit you with like some rapid fire questions and then we'll we'll do a bit of a deep dive afterwards, okay? Okay, perfect. So for sales, what, uh, what market was this property in? It's in Tampa. And what uh, what was the property type? Single family, duplex? duplex this was I a think duplex, answer, right? yes. And uh, what did you purchase this one for? What was the purchase price? I paid 180 and do you recall what your down payment closing costs were in ballpark? 55, 50 something in that range, 25% down. Awesome. So let's kind of talk through the story a little bit, right? So how did you find this deal? And then how did you fund this deal? So this one is extremely interesting, which is why I wanted to talk about it. So it was an extended MLS listing. I was actually deployed for the Air Force in South Carolina supporting COVID. And like any good real estate investor, I was just perusing Zillow. (laughs) And I saw this listing that had been posted for six months. It had one photo that looked like it was taken on a flip phone. I was like, what is happening here? They cannot seriously want to sell this property. But I sent it to my agent and I was like, can we find out what's going on with this? And so he did. And we quickly learned that the seller was very difficult. He wouldn't actually let us see the property until we had offered. So I offered on the property at asking at that time. And then I did. So because he wouldn't let us see it and we didn't know the inside condition, he had it listed for one ninety five. And at that point, I was just like, what's the worst that can happen? I'll lose my inspection money. To your point, you had said that earlier. I felt the same way. So we did that. But long story short, the tenants didn't have leases. He was very hesitant to do estoppel agreements to prove that there was no leases. They were paying $500. Market rent was closer to $950 or $1,000 when I bought the property. Yes. So just a lot of discrepancies and issues. I don't know where my confidence came from, but I was like, let's do it. What's the worst that's going to happen? 
I will say the biggest shocker about the property was that I was almost at closing and we had negotiated down the price for the interior condition. There's just a ton of deferred maintenance. And so I got them down to 180 and it had already appraised for 195. So I was feeling really good about that. But that's when I found out that there was a vacant property next door because I was vetting two different property managers. And that's ultimately how I ended up choosing the property manager that I hired because the one that I was vetting was like, this is the worst decision. It being vacant, you're never going to be able to rent this. The city owns it. It's never going to sell. It's never going to flip. Da da da. So I called the other property manager and he's like, oh, no problem. We'll rent it. He was so nonchalant, so confident. And I was like, this is my guy. So I hire him. And literally within months, they flipped the entire duplex. So that's now redone brand new luxury finishes. And then on the other side of that is a brand new build luxury single family home. So now I'm the one holding up the neighborhood when I thought I was going to be the trailblazer flipping the neighborhood. So that was a very pleasant surprise. So what what did you end up spending on the rehab? So I actually haven't even updated it. I inherited those tenants and they stayed. Yeah, they stayed. When I closed, I went to them and I offered, I was like, I know there's a ton of deferred maintenance. I'm happy to fix whatever you want. Write me a list, but I'm going to increase this to, it was still below market, but it was a significant raise compared to the 500 they were paying. And so we did some updates for them, but nothing, I mean, their kitchens need to be completely redone. So I am going to be in the process of doing that here shortly. Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk through the final numbers then, Stacey. So what are both sides currently renting out for? Yeah. So we currently have them both rented for a thousand on each side. And then what's your mortgage payment on that? So I did do a cash out refi on this. So it's currently, I think the new one is 994, if I'm not mistaken. But instead of mixing them, I was like, let's just do the pre- my before the cash out refi, my mortgage was eight eighty four. And now afterwards you're at like just under a thousand bucks. Correct, yes. And you're pulling down two thousand a month in rent. Yes. Wow. Okay. And then your property manager, how much are they charging? So I do a nine percent. He does eight, but because of some other random fees, I just do nine for conservative budgeting. And how much cash did you end up leaving in the deal after you refinanced out or did you pull it all out? So that was one of the discrepancies. I ended up pulling out, I think there's like 18K that's still left in the deal. I could, because of the market appreciation, do it again and still not pay any money for the refinance. And with the market rents, it would still support it. But I'm going to kind of keep that in my back pocket for another rainy day and just do the updates and drive the rent to the max cash flow for right now. Yeah. And that I think that's such an important value to hit is that you don't always have to pull everything out. It's great to leave some money into a deal. I mean, then you just have more equity in the property. And if you do need to tap into that equity, like you said, you can go and refinance again and pull it out. Even leaving that $18,000, i am sure I can't do math in my head as fast as Tony, but I'm sure your cash on cash return is great after you know, cash flowing 600 a month. Yeah. What is yeah. it? 33%. 33%. <laughs> he made that up. <laughs> well, well, Stacey, congratulations. That is a, a really, you. really solid deal. And I'm sure super instructional for all of the rookies that are listening. But yeah. Yeah. And the moral of the story is don't be afraid of properties that are vacant next door. Like good things can happen, but just do your due diligence. So Stacy, I'm going to take us to our rookie request line now. So anyone can call in at one 888 rookie and leave us a voicemail and we might play it on the show for our guests to answer. 
Hey guys, Lauren from Asheville here with a quick question. My husband and I are hoping to get our first short-term rental in the next month or so. And we've noticed as we run our numbers and look over comparables that a lot of properties with short-term rental potential are overpriced in this current market. We have heard from other investors they will often pay more for a property with good cash flow. My question for you guys is how much more will you pay for a property with good cash flow? Thanks so much for the advice. I love your show. I'm still risk adverse enough that my first question is, will it cash flow as a long-term rental? Like what's plan B? Because if you're buying that property and it only cash flows as a short-term rental, that's an immediate no for me. I know that some other people are more comfortable with that. That's a no for me. And then my other question is, it's a very inflated market right now. So I have been recommending to people look back in the rents, see what the rents were demanding before all this inflation hit. Does that market rent still support the cash flow? And if it does, then close. But if those two things don't happen, the risk is not worth it for me personally. I agree with Stacey on the exit strategies that um, you should have multiple exit strategies because if you are paying a high price, but if your property is not going to appraise for what you're purchasing for, especially if you're going to use a mortgage for it, then you're going to have to fill that gap and cover that difference if it's not going to appraise for that. Or you don't want to buy the property in all cash and later want to go and refinance, but it doesn't appraise for how much you want to pull out of the property. So I think looking at what the property is actually valued at and your cash flow, I mean, if you are going to make a lot of cash flow, the property can be worth overpaying for. And I think it's really what you consider overpaying is over. I think that's different to a lot of people is overpaying mean that's different than what the market is at right now? Or is that because of appreciation, what the property is going to be worth? You're going to pay a little bit more because you know it's going to appreciate more. So I think that's like the biggest thing is what does overpaying even mean? So for me personally, it would be that by buying my buy and hold properties, overpaying would mean that the property does not cash flow for me. That would be overpaying for me. Tony, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, especially since you're in the short-term rental market. You know, I'll echo a lot of what you said, Ashley, is that I think Lauren is confusing. You know, and I don't mean this to take a dig at you, Lauren, but I think there's a difference between expensive and overpriced, right? Like overpriced is a function of the return. And something is only overpriced once my return becomes negatively impacted. My return is not necessary, or a property doesn't necessarily become overpriced because I'm paying over asking. That just means that I'm paying over asking, but if I'm able, and this is the example that I always use, right? Someone could come in, right? You, maybe you have some out of town agent that doesn't know the local market and you know they think their property's worth half a million, but it's really worth 750. So they come in and price it at half a million. And then all these investors come in knowing that it's underpriced. So now you're bidding you know, $200,000 over asking. Is it overpriced at that point? No, it's not, right? It just means that it wasn't priced the right way to begin with. Or on the flip side, say that they do list it at 500, but you know that based on your underwriting, you can still buy it at 650 and get a 15% cash on cash return. Is it overpriced? It may be, maybe not, right? It all depends on if a 15% cash on cash is, is good to you. So Lauren, I, I make my decisions much like Ashley said, based on the return that I get from that purchase price. And I'm not as concerned about the difference between the purchase price and the asking price. I think the appraisal gap is a good thing to call out, right? Like if there is an appraisal gap there, you should add that into your calculations to make sure you still get the return that you want. 
But again, the term overpriced should be based on the return and not necessarily what they're asking for the property. And especially if you're going to be holding this property for a long time, you're not going to be that concerned about comparables unless you need to get an appraisal on it to refinance the property. Because if you're not going to sell it, what does it matter what the property's value is, what the price point is of it? But if you are intending to flip the property or sell it within a short period of time, then yeah, maybe you should be concerned with paying more for it in case the market does dip a little bit. But if you're going to hold it, then I think that that's less of an issue for you too. Stacey, we're going to do the rookie exam now. So this is one of our newer segments here where we have three questions and either you pass or you fail and your episode does not air. So, <laughs> Oh my goodness, no pressure. <laughs> okay. So question number one, what is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? I would say they should go out and meet at least three people at local meetups and learn from their story. Don't ask questions unless it pertains to their story. All right. Second question. What is one tool, software, app, or system that you use in your business? I look at Appfolio a lot. I'm very jealous. My property management company doesn't use Appfolio and so it doesn't connect. But yeah, that is such a nice feature to have those two interlink. Yes. And it's so great to see all of your properties. It's a very, really good software tool for overarching overview of all of your properties. And the last question is, where do you plan on being in five years? Ooh, good question. Staying in Denver is something that I've been so passionate about because my family is here and because I initially thought it was going to be impossible for me to stay here and live a comfortable life. So because of that, and because my family is still here, I would say six months here and six months in San Diego is the life I want to be living in five years. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. And you did pass, so your episode will air. (laughs) Stacey, can you let everybody know where they can find out some more information about you and possibly reach out to you? Yeah. So the first and most important thing is that I am going to be volunteering at the Rookie Bootcamp Weekend live in Denver at the in-person event. I would love to connect and meet as many people in this community as possible. So please find me there. And then outside of that, my Instagram would be the best place. Stacey, I can't wait to meet you there. Yes, I'm so excited. All right. So before we close out, I just want to highlight this week's Rookie Rockstar. Again, if you want to get highlighted on the show, get active in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group or in the Bigger Pockets forums, then we might highlight your story on the show. But today's Rookie Rockstar... It is a new mom and real estate investor who just closed on her first investment property. So if that's you, you are a rookie rock star. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, this new mom and new investor uh, purchased a property for $116,000. Spends another 35K on the rehab. So for all you math nerds, she's all in at $141,000. Okay, you guys weren't moving fast enough. Uh, And the ARV was $180,000. So seems like a really solid first deal. And new mom and real estate investor, wish you the best of luck in uh, knocking out the park in the next one. Okay. Well, Stacey, thank you so much for joining us. We really enjoyed having you on the show and having you share your journey with us. And we can't wait to meet you at Rookie weekend and maybe this will even air after rookie weekend or i think it'll be before so he moved it up yeah it'll be before okay good so everyone will hear your story and then they'll get to meet you at rookie weekend yay yes i'm looking forward to it yeah awesome 
I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And make sure to check out the Real Estate Rookie Facebook and also our YouTube channel. And we will see you guys next time. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.